Good morning, Impactors. How are you? Tell you what, I only heard two claps there. I don't care because I'm pumped. We, uh, we're ready to baptize about 20 people the whole day today, first service and second. We've already baptized 21. We haven't even gotten to this service. So that's what a great, great day. Um, so let's just pray and I want to dive right into it. No pun intended there. Father, thank you so much for a chance, an opportunity, a privilege, and honor to partner up with you in ministry, Lord. Uh, this building uh, is a gift that we can meet here, Lord, but a building isn't the church. The people are the church, God, and we are gathered in your name uh, in anticipation of seeing you move and do a great and mighty things. Lord, help people to see today that baptism is, is really what starts it all, Father. When we're saved, this kicks off our ministry, Lord. It means so much to you, and in obedience, uh, we need to do things your way, Lord. So move in hearts today, Father. Even if there's people here who weren't planning, God, I pray that this would be a stirring in their hearts that they can't help but uh, step out in obedience to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, be sharp. Got a couple questions I want you to participate in. Ever notice after a Super Bowl, I don't know, or a gold medal deal, somebody wins a gold medal, Michael Phelps, something like that, or World Series, since that's a little more relevant right now. You know, whoever the key players, the stars are in that, this, this person, who, this undercover person who works for a certain theme park always seems to be able to wiggle their way in there, get a microphone in their face at the biggest moment of their life and go, now that you've won the Super Bowl, now that you've won the MVP of the Super Bowl, what are you going to do next? Don't say. Don't say. Or Michael Phelps, now that you've won your, I don't know, 50th gold medal or however many he has and you've, you've seen the flag go up, you've sung the national anthem, what are you going to do next? So-and-so. Uh, who was it, Joe Flacco last year? Now that you have MVP, now that you've thrown the touchdown passes, now that the biggest day of your life, got any plans? What's the very next move? And what do they say? Going to Disney World. Liars? Are they really going to Disney World? I'm thinking, you know, is this really, it's so burdened on their heart to get down there going, oh, my son was little, he's like, Daddy, why do they have to go report to Mickey. You know, he's a little, I mean, why did they, was this something they have to do? What's Disney, what's the connection? And I'm, I didn't say it when he was young, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking the connection is money. I'm thinking the connection is Disney pays them a lot of money to say that, that it's not real heartfelt. It's probably not their next move. But did you know that there's something in Christianity that is very similar and so much more important? There's a logical next move when we get saved. It's when we bend the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the greatest day of our lives. We're adopted into the family of God. But you know, believers have a much more meaningful tradition than going to Disney, and it's been going for some 2,000 plus years. You get saved, you do this. Paul and Barnabas, they were partners for a couple of missionary journeys. Uh, hey, Barnabas, what did you do after trusting Christ? Don't say it. Hey, disciple James. I say disciple because there's a lot of James. You gotta get the right one. What do you do when you... Put your trust in Jesus. Hey, half-brother of Jesus, James. Did you know that? He had half-brothers and sisters. Now that you realize your brother's also God, what are you going to do next? Hey, Apostle Paul, now that you've been knocked down and blinded by a light and heard a thundering verse and you know that you were on the wrong path, now that you know that Jesus you were persecuting is Lord God and you are following him and been adopted into his family, what was your next move right after that? Paul, greatest of all Christians. Hey, Constantine, 300 years later, let's fast forward in the future after that, our past. Emperor of Rome, now that you've had a vision from God, a giant cross, and you know that Jesus is the way, now that you are having everybody else mandatory in the kingdom, bend the knee to Jesus Christ, which is, 
which is kind of an oxymoron. You don't force people to do it, but that's what Constantine did. He was so overwhelmed. When you came to Christ, Constantine, what was your next move? Hey, Martin Luther, now that you've started the Reformation and turned people back to justification by faith alone, was there something you wanted to do right after that? Hey, Pastor Rob, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ as a seven-year-old little boy kneeling down by your parents' bed, and you received him. Was there something you wanted to do right after that? Was there something you did do? Now, if you're taking notes, I've got about four or five key things that honestly, gang, hear this. Real Christians sold out. Christ followers do it. I'm just going to call them real Christians. Here's the first one. Real Christians get dunked. Real Christians get dunked. Write it down. If you've been saved, sir, ma'am, child, if you've bent the knee to Jesus Christ, have you ever publicly identified with him through baptism? In fact, this is rhetorical, but when faced today with the opportunity to step out the way that he says to step out, to identify with him, with his death, burial, and resurrection, his way, what will you do? What will be your response when you're tapped on the shoulder by the Holy Spirit? When you feel that stirring in your heart, what will you do? Will you try to quiet him down, close him down, or will you obey? Because you see, friends, Christ followers have been celebrating their rebirth the same way for 1,980-some odd years. Pastor Robert, you weren't good at math, were you? Because you said 2,000 before. I know, and it's still technically 2,000 plus, except something changed about 30 or 40 years ago in this country with good old American evangelicalism. You know what changed? We don't take the next step. Jesus says to celebrate and identify with them a certain way and a huge proportion of American, you know, Christians, or at least they have the label, the moniker, moniker Christian, blow this off. They don't do it. It's not a logical step anymore. But for nearly 2,000 years, it was not this way. It was this way. Hey, Christ follower, you just put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Now that his blood has paid the price for you, in your place, and you've been adopted into his family, what are you going to do next? The answer was always, I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to be baptized. Nobody paid you to do it. In fact, it could cost you everything back then, and even in some places in the world today, but people just said it. I know my next move. I'm going to be baptized. Look at what scripture has to say about baptism. You can write these references down. We're going to be moving around pretty fast. Matthew 3.16, confessing their sins, in other words, repenting, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Matthew 3.13, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you'll receive the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message, those who received Jesus as Savior, were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to hone in a little bit closer here on this so you can't miss it. And see if you catch the obvious order of things in these next few verses. Acts 8, 12. But when they believed Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So what happened first? When they believed, they were baptized. They believed, they were baptized. Acts 8, 13. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued... So he believed, then he was baptized. Acts 18.8, this is the birth and the explosion of the church. Crispus, the synagogue leader, a former leader against God, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and then were baptized. See, once these people 
place their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they all identified with him publicly the same exact way, through immersion, through water baptism. In fact, there is not an illustration of any kind of baptism that is symbolic to to identify with Christ. That's the only baptism that's in the New Testament. So here's the second thing real Christians do in regards to this. Real Christians realize that baptism is just day one in reporting for duty. They realize that baptisms, you know, a lot of times, here's the drawback with American evangelicals. It's a big drawback. People will say, hey, I'm saved now. I've got my get out of hell free card. Jesus died for me. Love the gift. Now I'm going to go live my life. And if you manage to get them to see, but no, there's, you need to be public. You need to let people know. You don't go undercover. If they manage sometimes to get to the next step and say, okay, everybody, I'm acknowledging I'm a Christian. I'm being baptized. Then they go undercover. See, people back then realized, first of all, identifying when they're baptized back in, in Jesus' day could cost you your life. You could be ostracized from your family. You could be imprisoned, but you definitely found that it cost you something. It wasn't a casual thing. You also knew that this is really day one of my ministry. This kicks off everything for me. So you might want to write this down. We kick off our ministry as believers for Jesus by being baptized. The day you're baptized, it really begins. Mark 16, 16. This is a curious verse. A lot of people are troubled by this scripture. It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, a lot of people are afraid of this because they go, believe and baptized will be saved. Does that mean you have to be baptized to be saved? Well, I'll tell you a couple things about that, but let me just set you at ease on that one. If you think that, you're thinking wrong. If you compare it to all the other verses about baptism, let me just give you one story that proves this is wrong. Jesus at Golgotha, on the hill, dying on a cross. How many crosses were there, people? Three. And there were two what on either side? Thieves that are crucified with him. One of them didn't get it. One of them's dying. Everything about his life is coming to an end, and he still doesn't want to make it right. Amazing. Amazing. The people will curse God and shun him their whole, right to their last breath. But the other thief realized, he said, don't you realize, as he shouted to the other thief, we're being crucified. We're receiving the just punishment because we, we committed crimes. This is what happens. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? If you can manage to get off the cross and get baptized, I don't know how you're going to do it, frankly, but if you can, then I'll let you in. Did he say that? No, I don't recall those words. What he said to them is, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So gang, we're going to find out that baptism linked with belief is, is wrong. It's not linked with belief in that it saves you. It must be something else. It's a symbol. It's a bold proclamation to everybody else that there's something that did take place inside that you are saved. This wedding ring doesn't marry me. It shows I am married. So it's an outward symbol of an inward profession. So let's take that verse a minute just so it doesn't haunt you. Notice that even though baptism is included in the first part of this verse, whoever believes in his baptism will be saved, it's dropped in the second part of the verse. And here's why that's important. Because baptism is included as a characteristic result of true saving faith. You could say, whoever legitimately believes places their faith in Jesus, not by mere mental assent. In other words, it's not like you would learn about George Washington in school, you know, as a a child. George Washington was our first president. You know, most kids believe that, rightly so. I've never heard anybody tell me. In school, we were asked if we believe in George Washington, and then we were asked to begin a personal relationship with him. I've never heard that. You should leave that school. If there's a school that teaches that, you need to leave. That's a weird school because it's different. 
But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's not a mental ascent to some facts about Jesus. Because otherwise, that's why 85% of, of America go, sure, I believe a guy named Jesus lived. I believe he's good. He probably died on the cross. Sure, he's, he's God and, and he paid for my sins. I'm glad I'm covered. Do you see the detachment there? It's not personal. I mean, if I walked down there and handed you a gift and said it's for you and you said, that is great, I believe that's for me. And then you turn around and left. Well, it's not for you. You just left without it. You still have to reach out and take it. And that's the difference in saving faith. If I said I believe that chair can hold me up, but inside I'm really thinking it's kind of rickety for my weight, but you say, do you believe that can hold you up? Yes, then sit in it. No, why not? None of your business. I don't want to sit in that chair. But I thought you said it's no problem. Well, gang, the only thing that really proves it is if I just go over there and, and sit there. And saving faith has action. It has to. So if you really are saved, you do not immediately go undercover. You can't. So baptism doesn't save you. It just shows that you're already saved. Now, I know that some of you may be going, this just seems ritualistic. Why is that so important, Pastor Al? Well, married folks, where are you? Can I see your hands? There's a lot of you. What if you got married on that beautiful day and you said your vows to each other, invited a lot of friends, and you exchanged rings and all that, and you may kiss the bride and did all that. Now, as you're walking down the aisle, men, let me see the married men. Where are you? What if you're walking down the aisle, you're so excited, and you booked a honeymoon, you guys are going to Hawaii, the whole thing is set. And as you're walking down and everybody's kind of cheering and all that, your wife turns to you and says, this is it, okay? I said I agreed to this much, but from this day on, you're on your own. You go on the honeymoon, we're not married, I'm not taking your last name, none of that stuff. When we get back, I'm going to act like I never knew you. That's kind of a bummer, isn't it? It's not exactly what you'd expect. A little bit silly, but that's exactly what some Christians do. They come to faith supposedly in Christ, and then they say, that's it, see you in heaven, Lord. Not, not verbally, but in, I guess in their hearts, because they have nothing to do with them from that day forward. They live sort of separate lives. It's crazy. So welcome to American evangelicalism. This morning I want to take a brief look about baptism as a symbol that identifies us with Jesus. Just a brief look, and then my hope is that many of you that never have will step out in obedience and be baptized. Like I said, it's like this wedding ring, and this wedding ring is not magic. It doesn't make me married to Michelle. In other words, it's not like I'm married to Michelle, and then I'm not. Married, not married. Married, not married, married. It doesn't work like that. There's an inward commitment that I made to Michelle, and that's the real marriage. This is an outward symbol that I am married, an outward symbol of an inward commitment. However, wearing a wedding ring doesn't, or actually, however, baptism is symbolic as it is and as much as an outward profession as it is, it does not save you. Think of it this way. A small six-year-old child, for a lot of reasons, girls mostly, like to play dress up. So they could put on their mom's wedding dress. It would probably drag a little bit. They could even put on their mom's wedding ring if she lets, and pretend, right? That doesn't mean a six-year-old girl's married. They're just pretending. They can wear all the stuff and all the trappings, but it doesn't mean it happened. And unfortunately, and this is where a lot of confusion takes place, and this is dangerous. People are baptized without having to accept Christ as Lord and Savior all too often, and when a person is baptized in that way, they're not a Christian. That doesn't make them a Christian. Now, one example that I want us to look at is probably one that's left out way too much. It's the best example of baptism I can think of. Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. 
It says, when Jesus came to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, that's his cousin, John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. I can hardly think of a better reason to be baptized than that it was good enough for the Son of God, who didn't have to, obviously, even symbolically for the washing away of sins, because he never sinned. And yet before he kicked off his ministry, he was baptized to say, this is what I want all of you to do. I'm going to do it first. I'll lead the way. There's a lot going on here in this passage. You got one ministry fading out, John the Baptist. And he was huge. John the Baptist was like a rock star back then. His ministry had tens of thousands of people coming to see him baptized. And his ministry is fading. In fact, he said this about Jesus. This man who's coming, I'm not worthy to loose his sandals, to even tie his sandals up. In fact, my ministry now must decrease, and his must increase. I must decrease. He must increase. At that moment, heaven was opened up, and you see this voice crying out, and you see the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And here's another interesting thing going on. Sometimes I'll see people going, well, Christianity is kind of weird. They teach things that aren't there. They teach the Trinity and all that. What's that all about? Well, the word Trinity might not be in there because that's our word for triune God, but the Trinity's in there. Didn't you just see it? It's right there, the three in one. Jesus is physically there, the Son of God, being baptized. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove is physically alighting upon Jesus. And the voice of the Father is crying out saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So theologically, this is just packed. But I want you to just focus on one thing that happens there. One thing that was said. Jesus hasn't started his ministry yet. This kicks off the three-year ministry of Jesus. And before he did anything, his father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus, it wasn't, Jesus didn't have to jump through hoops for three years and do everything for his father to love and be pleased. He just had to be who he was. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Number three for real Christians. Real Christians want to please God. Real Christians want to please God. Would you want to hear the same thing about us that was said about Jesus? This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Because we no longer live for self. Now we want to hear those words from our father. <clears throat> you know who gets this? I mean, sometimes we don't get this because we think of ourselves in terms of what we do. You ever notice that? When you ask somebody, uh, when you meet somebody in America, it's kind of like, what do you do for a living? Like, that's you. Like that defines you. Well, I'm a banker. Okay, well then, I mean, you're a person. But we like to think of our, ourselves as what we, what we do. Best football player ever lived, Kurt Warner. Don't even argue because it's already been established by me. Strong Christian, great quarterback. When he won the Super Bowl, I remember how annoyed some of the interviewers and reporters were because they were trying to get him to talk about, about football. And, and he he basically was getting annoyed at them. And he said, because he kept talking about Jesus and thanking him. And one reporter actually said, well, we can get to that later, but for now. And he had the mic and he said, no, not later. See, I don't think you get it. And it was, maybe this escaped you, but he said this many times. He goes, this is really not about football for me. It's about Jesus. You see, I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christian 
who happens to play football. Amen. Think about that for a minute. I'm a Christian who happens to play football. The world looks at Kurt Warner and they say, no, you're a superstar quarterback who, well, okay, you happen to be a Christian. And they have it upside down. There's a $50 million player going, that's all fluff. I'm a Christian first and foremost. This is just what I do. It's not who I am. Christ defines me. This is one of the most key events in all of Scripture. Everybody shows up for a baptism. Following this event, everything we know about Jesus begins. It's a kickoff party. The God-man who, think about this a minute, the God-man who gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, he helped the lame to walk, he raised three people from the dead, he fed thousands of people twice from a little boy's lunch, fish and chips, another time through a different, through just a small amount of food. He turned water to wine, he forgave sinners, he lived the most incredible life in all of history, he died in our place, sinless, his blood was shed, his, his body torn, and he was beaten, and he died on a cross for us. Sinless sacrifice rose three days later from the grave, and he launched it all from a three-second underwater experience in a dirty river on the edge of a no-name town. Did you ever think about that? He insisted that everything that changed the face of history be launched in a dirty river on the edge of a no-name town. Seems like baptism means something. Seems like it's pretty important. Something beautiful and mysterious and important, and it's not for us to completely dissect and figure out. It's just for us to obey. So, again, I'll say the same question, Christ follower, or I'll just say Christian. Have you launched your ministry for Jesus? I'll say it a different way. Have you launched your ministry for Jesus the way that Jesus asked you to? Have you kicked off your spiritual journey the way Jesus commanded you to? Or did you do an end around? Did you go, well, I'm a Christian. I've been serving him for years. I never did this because I was sprinkled as an infant. That's great. We're not even gonna talk about that except to say this. That's a completely different situation than immersion, the baptism talked about in the Bible. Completely different. Real Christians, they make no excuses. I love this one. Some of you have heard the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, the royal official, powerful. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, this is found in the book of Acts. I don't have a chapter here, I forgot. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is after Jesus rose and now the disciples, the church is blowing up in, in Jerusalem. Go to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, and he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. All right, so this is, you know what this is? It's a seeker. Somebody who had come to Jerusalem at such an important time because he was curious, but he didn't know Christ. He just is drawn by the Holy Spirit. And he was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. So we know that he's a huge official. We know he's high up. We know he's powerful because you couldn't, they didn't have printing presses. You didn't have a million Bibles floating around. So for him to have a scroll of Isaiah was incredible. There weren't that many, maybe a handful, but he's got one. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? I mean, sometimes people miss the miracles that are here. It says the chariot is going. And the Holy Spirit said, run and be with the chariot. So Philip is running alongside the chariot, which is pretty fast, I'm thinking. And he's reading. And so he's going, hey, what you reading over there? That probably impressed the Ethiopian official as he's seeing this guy run real fast. And they have this normal conversation while it's cruising along. 
And he ran to him and he said, I heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, do you understand what you're reading? And he responded, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot, which was probably a relief. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this one from Isaiah. Let me read it to you. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, he being Jesus. And like a lamb before his shearers, he was silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself? Is Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He said, no, he's talking about someone else who was to come, and he unpacked the whole thing for him. And apparently, the Ethiopian eunuch put his trust in Jesus right there, but listen to what happens. He explained the whole thing. And as they're going along in the chariot, and he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, he said, look, here's water. What will prevent me from being baptized? Okay, gang, that sounds different than people today. Today, it's like, what's going to drag me over there? What have you got for an incentive? Why should I do this? This guy's completely different. What in the world do you think could prevent me from getting in that? Well, why should I not? There's water right there. Let's do this now. He wants to be baptized. That's upside down from what I see today. And he commanded the chariot to stop. So even if Philip doesn't want to do it, he better do it. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So this ruler, let me just put it an American way for you. This ruler from Ethiopia could have said, and I've heard a lot of these types of things, let me schedule a time when I can bring the royal family. This is huge. As you explain it to me, I can see it's a big deal. I may be able to work it out for about six months from now or maybe this time, but right now I'd like to have my whole family here, make it special, maybe make a party of it. There's a little shift there. Starting to be a little bit about him if he were to say that. Or he could have said, let me, let me have you brought to Ethiopia, my nation, so we can make a huge ceremony down there. It'll be bigger down there. I can make this grand. And... Or he could have said, you know, let me study this for a while and get back to you on my next visit. But he said none of these things. You know why? Curious at all? He said none of those things because those are excuses for people who are not ready to identify with Jesus Christ. Those are excuses. And that's a different response than somebody who really receives Christ. They want to know what will please you, what's my next move. It's an evidence that you really are, are saved. Let me show you why it's such a big deal. Dr. M.R. DeHaan put it this way in the early days of the church. He said, baptism was a declaration that the believer was definitely identifying himself with this hated and despised group of people called Christians. To be a Christian, oh, it meant something. To identify yourself with those who were called Christians meant at least persecution. Probably to be ostracized by friends. Definitely your family. This is where it began where families would literally have a funeral for their living child to say they're, they're not my child anymore. It would cost you a lot. Imprisonment, strong possibility. Death, certainly a, certainly a possibility. And the one act which was the final declaration of this identification was baptism. As long as a man gathered with Christians, did you know that you'd be tolerated? I, no, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, sure, Pharisees would gather with Christians and listen in and try to trap them. They gathered with Jesus, but they hated him. You can hang out with them. You might even say, they've got some interesting points. You might even say, I believe some of it. But you'd still be safe. 
and you wouldn't be persecuted. But the moment that you submitted to baptism, you declared to the world, I belong to this despised group, and it could cost you everything. But in a country where it basically costs us nothing, well, let me just give you the average. In the whole time that I've been a pastor, we average about whoever, if 100 people get saved, about 30 of them will be baptized. Think about that for a moment. About 30 of them will take the next step for their Lord and Savior whose blood was shed for them to purchase their adoption into the family and their eternity with them forever and ever, saved them from hell. About 30 out of 100 will take that very first step of obedience. The rest will just go, well, I, got my, I guess I got my get out of hell free card. I'll present this later, live the life I want now, and you said this will get me in. He didn't say that'll get you in because there's no such card. He said true faith will get you saved. I'll save you. If you're just carrying around a card and you don't want to identify, you probably don't have true saving faith. See, a person might be a believer back then and keep it strictly a secret and thus avoid unpleasantries and suffering. But once you submit to public baptism, you are going to burn every bridge behind you. And it's still that way in nations today. It's amazing how isolated and foolish we've been in America. Because there's, there's a pastor right now in prison. Have you heard about him in Iran? And this is going on and on and on. It's cost him everything. They've slandered him. They said he's in prison for, for different sexual crimes. All completely made up. He's a pastor. He was baptizing people. He had an underground church. It's the whole reason he's in prison. Every way he's been attacked. And they say he's on, basically on death row. It's cost him everything. And yet you could not keep him or any of his followers from the water. In America, it's hard to get people to the water. The excuses that I've heard as a pastor. Next thing, number four, real Christians have huge team spirit. You know, they're, they, they'll say, I'm part of the team I identify. I love it. They're having fun. They're passionate about Jesus. They're not like the football fans. You ever, see, you ever been to a football game and, and you see some fans? Have you ever been to a game where they have bags over their heads? I have seen this. Obviously, the bag means they're ashamed to be a fan of that team. It has always kind of boggled my mind that if you're that ashamed, why did you pay money to get a ticket, season tickets? Why are you even there? But anyway, they're there, and they're on the team, obviously. I just don't want you to know because the team's doing bad. It's not cool to be identified with that team right now. Maybe if they start doing good again, they'll take the bag off and be identified. Well, there's a lot of Christians that are like that. Well, maybe if there's some benefit, maybe if it'll make me cool, maybe if I know people like me and not say funny things or look at me cross-eyed, I'll take the bag off my head and identify myself as a Christian. Let's use the wedding ring thing again. If a person, especially a woman, I think, because guys sometimes do this just to be boneheaded about it, but if a woman's out and she's not wearing her wedding ring, you can probably make a reasonable assumption they're not married. If they're not wearing a ring, they're not married. So it was in New Testament times, if a person was not baptized, you can make a reasonable assumption that they're not really a Christ follower. Did you know that? Have you been baptized, though? No? Then you're still thinking about it? Well, no, I believe, but you haven't been baptized? No, then you're not a Christian. I mean, that was just automatic back then. And it's automatic in a lot of countries where people are persecuted today. But America, optional. Optional. So we'll examine it just a little bit more, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a bold move. Imagine it this way. Gang, when you're called as a believer by the Holy Spirit to put your trust in Christ and you're saved, 
you know, most of you probably think of this idea of being saved like this. Let's say you're, you're teetering over a cliff, you're too close, and somebody grabs the back of your shirt and pulls you back, and you're going, man, I almost fell to my death. You saved me, right? You're not squashed on the rocks below. You're here because you're saved. Well, we look at something, if, if we're dying and we're on our way to hell and, and we're this weird word called saved, and we go, well, then why doesn't, why doesn't God just beam us up to heaven? If that was the whole idea, if that's what life's all about, saving us, then why don't we just disappear and go to heaven? Because that's not the whole idea. You were saved for a mission. You were left here for a mission. There's two things we won't be doing in heaven, evangelizing and sinning. You won't be doing those in heaven. He left you here for one of those missions, either to evangelize or live a life of sin. Which one do you think he left you here for? Your mission is to excitedly, passionately tell others what Jesus did in your life. So it's a bigger mission than, than George Washington's role in the Revolutionary War. Come on, Pastor, that's kind of, no, it's bigger than that because it's for all eternity. It's bigger than actually any earthly mission you can think of. It's the biggest mission you've been recruited to, period. Now, let's take that war. I love studying different wars. Could you imagine if, say, General Patton, with all his enthusiasm, you know, was called to, to lead in World War II. One day, he bows out of his assignment for this trivial reason. He doesn't like the uniform. He's looking at the uniform colors and all that and goes, is that what we have to wear? Yeah, well, I don't think I'm going to do it. Are, are you serious? He's going to say, um, excuse me, yes, I believe I can lead. Let me just clear this up. I can lead the allies to victory. I have no doubt. Well, do you think you're the man for the job? I have no doubt I'm the man for the job. Do you think you could stop this madman, Hitler? I think we can stop him with me leading. And yes, I was born for this. However, you did not tell me the uniforms were officially olive drab. Good heavens, man, I'm a summer. I have warm skin tones. Olive drab doesn't look good on me. It makes me look fat. It kind of makes me look pale and washed out. So if you had told me that and you really cared, we'd have, it's a game changer for me. Sorry, get a different man. Could you even fathom that? Silly? Some of the guys are going, what is that, a summer? What is that, a winter? Is that, did, ask your wife. I didn't know until yesterday what this was. And then they come back and, but General, this is a shot at world peace. The president asked for you personally for this mission. Well, then he should let me wear what I want. You should let me do it my way. No olive drab. Or I don't lead. Some of you are looking at me going, Pastor, that's silly. Is it? Aren't we doing the same thing? When we refuse to publicly identify with Jesus his way? Please tell me how that's any different. When we say, I don't want to do that. That's weird. I don't want to get wet. Why would we get done? I just think that's strange. I'd rather not. How's that any different than that silly illustration that I gave? See, we're not mainly talking about religious ritual here. We're not mainly talking about church tradition. We are mainly talking about Jesus Christ and his magnificent work of salvation in dying for our sins and, and rising from the grave for our justification. Not some little trivial thing. And in him saying, I would like you to do one thing. To kick this off, would you identify with me proudly before your friends publicly and say, I'm with Jesus? Would you do that? That'd mean a lot to me. And we say, no, I, I don't think I'll do that. Question, again, it's the third time now. 
Have you been baptized in obedience to him? Have you launched your ministry for him? Do you long to please him? Or are you still negotiating with God? Or are you still holding back on being everything he made you to be because you don't like the, the team colors or something silly like that? Finally, real Christians keep growing. Remember when I said to you before that people in America have this, this um, easy believism. Really, I gotta believe in Jesus and, and he'll save me and adopt me and that's it? Yeah, I believe. And we kind of imagine that there's some sort of get out of hell free card. But if we manage to get further than that, we go, so I gotta believe and to prove it, I, I gotta publicly identify. I can get wet one day. That's no big deal. So I get baptized. And then we treat that sort of like a big celebration of our official benching as a Christian. Now I'm going to ride the bench the rest of my life and not get in the game. When it's supposed to be a big celebration of the official launch of our ministry as we identify with Jesus. We have it upside down. We have it completely upside down. A short story with you that was originally told by Bob Beasley, who's a pastor in Ontario, Canada. He told the following true story. Our three-year-old daughter, Raina, sat with us during the baptismal service last Sunday night, which was a new experience for her. She exclaimed in surprise, why did he push that guy under the water? Why, Dad? Why? So my wife tried to explain briefly and quietly, but Rena just kept getting more worked up about it. She wasn't satisfied. Later that night, we tried to provide an answer that a child's mind could comprehend. We talked about sin, and we told Rena that when people decide to live for Jesus and do good, they want everyone to know. We then explained that water baptism, it's a three-year-old, symbolizes Jesus washing like a bath. You know, people from sin, when they come out clean, they're gonna try to be good and live for him. A moment later, we realized we'd have to work on our explanation a bit. Raina had immediately responded, why didn't the pastor just spank him? <laughs> so we're starting a slapping ministry for all of you that have not given not just your life to Christ, but that next step in obedience when it's so easy in comparison to what Jesus did for you. Think about it, man. Think about it, woman. Think about it, young person. This initiation, I've heard so many excuses about this, and, and I cringe when I hear it. We were supposed to baptize, I think, 20, 21 people uh, for the, both services, and like I said, we've already baptized 21, and that's because quite a few joined who were not planning on being baptized. So as we close out, you might be sitting there right now and going, I am one of those. Uh, this is great. And there is something going on in my heart. I, I should have done this. And I want to do this now, but the truth is I'm not trying to trivialize it, but my family's not here today. And, but this is between you and God. And the moment the Holy Spirit calls, you need to jump. So he may not call again. Besides, we, we have photographers that are there, and we're, seriously, and we'll take the picture, and, you, and, and if you give us the address, we will send that to your family. Well, I don't want to make it trivial or anything, but honestly, Pastor Rob, we're supposed to go out to lunch and we've got people here and I, I can't go to Chili's soaking wet. You probably could, actually. It's just Chili's. But let me just tell you, we have towels. We have shirts. We have shorts. We have everything provided for you. Medium, small, large, every size imaginable. Well, what if you're going, but pastor, this is really shallow, but my hair, when it gets wet, it explodes into a sea of curls. I really can't do this. Well, that's why we have brushes. We have hair gel. We've got every, gang, honestly, if you want to make excuses, I, I can probably go toe to toe with you, but I don't want to make it so easy that we end up 
trivializing it too. If you really don't want to do this, you'll find a way to get out of it. If you really want to do this in obedience to him, and you feel the Holy Spirit going, why have you waited? It's time to move. Then it would be a sin for you to walk away and not do this. It would be a sin for you to walk away and ignore the Holy Spirit and not do this. So if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, but never professed him his way through baptism, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Today is the day to officially kick off your ministry for Jesus. Look, I, the, I know there's probably some of you sitting here going, who does he think he is? I, I've been a Christian for 10 years, 15 years. I've lived for Jesus. I've, I'm not nullifying that. Some of you others might be sitting here going, I've already done this. I was sprinkled as an infant. So at eight days old, you said, Jesus, I love you. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. I doubt it. No, but we did go to my favorite restaurant that day. I did, it wasn't my favorite restaurant until 20 years later, but officially, this isn't that. You know what? That's the, what we're talking about right now all through scripture is not sprinkling as an infant. It is when you yourself make your own commitment to Jesus Christ and then you choose to publicly, between you and God and in front of everybody to align yourself with them. An eight-day-old eight baby can't do that. Do you know what that is? That's your parents praying and it's a ceremony sacrament. It's a beautiful thing in hope they're praying that one day you'll do this. That's for this. That's saying one day I pray that my son or daughter will come to Christ. I'm trusting you, Lord, to lead them there. And then they'll, when they come to you, love you so much, they'll profess him your way. Separate event. You have not been baptized biblically because you've been sprinkled as an infant. It doesn't nullify your ministry, but it does validate it. It does validate it because this is the way that Jesus said to identify so don't invent your own way. Don't do an end around. Today, just yield to him and do it his way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, I know that there are some wrestling because there were in the first service. And right now they're thinking, God, why did I? Maybe they're even thinking, why did I come here? I wish I wasn't wrestling with this. But now that I am, I, I, I don't feel like I should walk out of here without doing this. Lord, give them the courage. Father, help them to see how easy this really is and that anything in their heart and mind right now making it hard is the evil one. And Father, that this may seem strange to them, but it means the world to you, Lord, because this is what you asked them to do, and it's so small compared to what you did for us. Stir in hearts, Father, that all of those that have never taken this step but claim you as Lord and Savior would take that step today. Let it be a transformation for them, Lord, and for our church as you get ready to just have this roll out into a full-blown movement for you, Lord. We can't be a movement if we won't obey you in the first and most simple things. Lord, receive our tithes and offerings as a church now to further your kingdom. Help us to be good stewards, Lord, and help us to dethrone stuff on the throne of our hearts, Lord, and, and show you that we love you by giving back to you. These two sacraments are for you. May they be a fragrant incense to you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.